Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Luke, and once again, I'm by myself, no Pastor Ryan today, but a little birdie told me that we're going to have him back soon. Okay, so stay tuned for that. But for now, I want to continue with our our reading plan here. Last week, we wrapped up the book of Ephesians. This week, I want to talk about a few different books. I want us to cover Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. Now, I know that's a lot, but we're just going to do kind of a 30,000-foot overview and, and just try to give you enough background to help you as you read through these books. So I want to jump right in, and we do have a lot to cover here. Let's start with the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians was most likely written around 62 AD from Rome. And remember, at this point, Paul is imprisoned. Okay, so if we, if we back up a little bit more, remember on Paul's third missionary journey, he collects an offering for the church back in Jerusalem. He's going around collecting this offering. Then he heads back to Jerusalem to deliver that offering, and he gets arrested. And then Paul stands trial, but then he appeals to Rome. As a Roman citizen, he has certain rights. He appeals to Rome, and so he's sent to Rome. And he is under house arrest, we could call it, for a couple of years in Rome. And while he's under house arrest, he writes a few different letters, including Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. We call these the the prison epistles or the the prison letters. Now, Colossae, this is a city that Paul never visited. Okay, it's in Asia Minor, which we've talked about before. Asia Minor is like modern-day Turkey. But Colossae was about 100 miles east or inland of Ephesus. And it was a pretty old city. It dates back to the 5th century BC, a pretty ancient city. But by Paul's time, it was relatively small and insignificant. It's probably why Paul never visited there. But we know that Colossae was really devastated in the mid-60s AD by an earthquake. It was pretty much destroyed. So it makes sense that Paul wrote this letter around 62 AD because he obviously would have had to write before the city was destroyed. Now, there may have been some aspects of, of life that continued in Colossae after the earthquake, but the city never really fully recovered. It, it was essentially completely destroyed. So Paul had never been to Colossae, but there was a guy that Paul knew, and his name was Epaphras. Okay, And he seems to have started the Colossian church, or at least helped start the church. He's mentioned in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. So what most likely happened is that Epaphras traveled to Ephesus while Paul was there. Remember, Paul was in Ephesus for several years. And remember, Paul was sending out disciples from Ephesus into the surrounding regions. Okay, So Epaphras probably was saved in Ephesus. And then he was sent out. He was one of the disciples who was sent out. And he started sharing the gospel in his hometown of Colossae. And that led to the birth of a church there. And we know that Epaphras is with Paul at the time of writing this letter when Paul wrote Colossians. 
It, this is mentioned in chapter 4, verse 12. And it's likely that Epaphras was, was probably a prisoner himself. He's probably in prison with Paul. And Epaphras likely shared with Paul that there was these dangerous false teachings that were threatening the church in Colossae. Okay, so the area that Colossae was in was known for being sort of a melting pot of different religions and and philosophies. So instead of holding to just one particular religion, instead of just being Christian, they might grab some parts of Christianity, but then some parts of of Judaism, some parts of, of other religions. And also the Colossian church consisted mostly of Gentiles, not Jewish people. But it seems like there was a pressure to follow Jewish law and to add extra rules to their faith in in Jesus. So Paul writes a letter to the church in Colossae, and he says, Jesus is sufficient. When you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Paul says that Jesus is Lord over all creation, both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And all things were created through Christ and for him. In him, all things hold together. And Christ possesses the fullness of God's being. So this is a very Christ-centered book. You're going to notice that as you read through this. Very Christ-centered. And Paul is reminding them, he's reminding the church in Colossae that salvation is found in Christ alone. Not in human rules, not in traditions. And you're also going to notice a lot of parallels with verses in Ephesians. There's a lot of similarities between Ephesians and Colossians. And that's most likely because they were written around the same time when Paul was imprisoned. So he had a lot of the same things on his mind. So you will notice some parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. So now moving on to Philemon. Again, we're going to move through these books pretty quickly because we have a lot to cover here. Philemon is Paul's shortest letter. This is really more of a, a typical ancient letter in terms of length. This is what most letters would have looked like. But it's a letter that's not often talked about. It kind of gets lost in the shuffle. We don't tend to, to talk much about it. Now, this letter, like I said, was also likely written in prison about the same time as the other letters we're talking about here. And Philemon was a a wealthy Christian, it seems. It seems that he was saved while Paul was in Ephesus. So Philemon was from Colossae, the city we just talked about. And then it seems like when Paul was in Ephesus sending people out into the surrounding regions, that's when Philemon was saved. And we know that Philemon opens up his home for the church in Colossae to to meet there. He's a wealthy guy, probably had a, a larger home, so he opens up his home for the church to meet there. But Philemon also had a slave, or some translations will say bondservant, who is named Onesimus. And Onesimus at some point flees. He leaves Philemon and he flees to Rome. And it's possible that Onesimus stole something from Philemon and is now a a fugitive, basically. Well, Onesimus eventually meets Paul. He runs into Paul, and Onesimus becomes a fellow worker for the gospel. He actually helps deliver letters for Paul. Remember, Paul is in prison, so Paul needs people to help him to continue his ministry in order to be able to deliver letters and, and help, to help bring him food and all that. So he needs people to help him. But Paul also knew that Onesimus needed to address his wrongdoings and his severed relationship with Philemon. So Paul writes a letter addressed to Philemon and he sends it with Onesimus. Okay, so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter 
in hand. And Paul tells Philemon in the letter to accept Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a dear brother in Christ. That's in verse 16. And in verse 19, Paul says, If Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, to Paul. Charge it to me personally. I will take his debt. So this short letter is a beautiful picture of how the gospel should change the way that we love other people. We're all members of one family, and Paul reminds us of that here. Now, I do want to address Paul's dealings with slavery a little bit more, but we're going to come back to that. First, I want to talk about the book of Philippians. Now, this is another one of the the prison letters here. Philippi was an ancient city also. And something you may not know, Philippi was established by the father of Alexander the Great. Okay, not Alexander the Great himself, but his dad, who is Philip II of Macedon. He named it after himself. Philip named it Philippi. Pretty humble guy. But that was around 356 B.C. And then in 42 B.C., Philippi became the site of the famous battle where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius, who were the the assassins of Julius Caesar. And then Octavian later defeated Antony in 31 BC, and he rebuilt Philippi, and he gave it special privileges. Okay, So it was a a pretty prosperous place, a pretty well-off place. And then you combine that with the fact that it was also a very fertile region, and it enjoyed an abundance of of springs, and there was also gold there. So this place was pretty well-off. It's also a place where many Roman soldier veterans would would settle. And Paul first visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. This was the first church in Europe to be planted. Remember, this is where Lydia was the first convert, and, and Paul and Silas are, are thrown in prison, but God miraculously saves them, and then the jailer and his entire family are saved. And it becomes clear that, that pretty early on, the Philippians actively supported Paul's ministry financially. And we know from Philippians 4, verse 18, that they sent Paul gifts while he was in prison. And they sent a man named Epaphroditus who delivered these gifts to Paul. So Paul writes to the Philippians out of his joy for them. It's like a letter of of friendship and and family and and fellowship. He has a lot of of joy toward the the Philippians who have continually supported him and been generous toward him. But Paul also knows that the Philippians are facing a lot of hardships of their own. So he uses his own situation, being imprisoned, as an example of how to respond to hardship with joy. And one of the more well-known sections in this book is in chapter 2, where Paul tells the Philippians to have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if Jesus, who is God himself, laid himself down for others. He humbled himself to the point of dying a criminal's death for us. How much more should we lay down our lives for other people? So Paul is saying, imitate Christ's humility. And he says, strive for unity. We're all members of the one body of Christ. 
And Paul, of course, also wants them to continue to grow in their faith and to boldly proclaim the gospel wherever they are, wherever they go. You're also going to see that Paul praises the Philippians for their generosity. So again, this is a very joyful letter, but as always, Paul wants the Philippians to continue to grow and to continue to boldly proclaim the gospel. Now, I want to circle back to this issue of slavery. I know we talked about this last week, but there's a few more points I want to add because I I think this is an issue that can often trip people up. And it's something that's often brought up in an accusatory nature against scripture. So just a few things to keep in mind here as, as Paul is talking about slavery. And he talks about it in a few different letters. He talks about it in Philemon, obviously, because Onesimus is a slave. We mentioned it in Ephesians. So it's mentioned in a few different letters. But a few things to keep in mind. First of all, slavery in the first century was different than what we typically think of when we think of slavery. Okay, Now, I'm not saying that this justifies it in any way. Don't misunderstand me here. I'm just trying to give us some context. So in the first century, slaves came from all ethnic groups. It wasn't just one ethnic group. It was all ethnic groups. Some people sold themselves into slavery to avoid poverty and and destitution. Other people were forced into slavery through war and, and capture. Some people were, of course, born into slavery. But many slaves enjoyed pretty good living conditions, and and some of them even attained prominence in their respective households. And and slaves were also regularly set free in the first century. But of course, many did unfortunately suffer abuse and, and exploitation and misery. But I did just want to address the fact that slavery looked a little bit different in the first century AD. Now, a few other points to keep in mind here as we think about how Paul addresses slavery in his letters. Remember that slavery was part of the social structure and the economic activity of the ancient world. And the fact of slavery in the Roman Empire wasn't something that was really debated. Now, I'm not saying in any way that that makes it right. Of course it doesn't. But this is the context that Paul was in. And remember that without modern democracy like we're used to, trying to overthrow slavery in the Roman Empire was basically impossible. Okay, It wasn't going to happen. So for Paul, really the most effective way to improve a slave's condition was through changing the heart of the master. So Paul often addresses masters and he says, hey, you have a master that you're accountable to in heaven. So act in a way that glorifies God. Love others as Christ loves them. So keep that in mind. And Paul also encourages slaves to seek freedom whenever possible. We see that in in 1 Corinthians 7. And then, of course, as we talked about today, Paul tells Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. So Paul essentially sets Onesimus free. And in 1 Timothy 1.10, Paul lists behaviors of the ungodly and the rebellious. He has a whole list of different behaviors, activities, and he includes slave trading on that list. And then throughout his letters, Paul frequently says things like, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We're all one in Christ. We're all just sinners saved by grace. Everyone has equal value in God's eyes. So, Remember that in his letters, Paul is addressing people in real situations. Okay, these aren't just his philosophical musings or his academic beliefs about certain topics. Okay, if if we were to ask Paul what he thought of slavery itself, 
we can certainly see, we can piece together that he didn't like it. He clearly understood there is no favoritism in God's eyes. He would have wanted to abolish slavery if that were possible. But he was also realistic, and he knew that slavery in the Roman Empire, unfortunately, wasn't going anywhere. So the best thing that he could do was to tell both slaves and masters to love God and to love others and to glorify God with everything that you do. So Paul may not have come right out and said directly that we need to abolish slavery, but many of his principles and teachings and, and verses later fueled the people who did abolish slavery. Okay, so, so keep this in mind. We have to understand things in their proper cultural context. Paul was addressing people in real situations and he was being realistic. So just wanted to clarify that and add a few more points to what we had said last week. But that's all for now. Next week, we have 1 Timothy on the docket. So make sure you tune in for that. Remember, we want to help you get into the word until it gets into you. And we want to help equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer. <music>